0: How many of you at some point or another have attempted some sort of Bible reading plan? Some, at some point in your life, maybe you do it now, Maybe maybe you have tried it and it hasn't quite worked out. Um, you've you've um, you've opened up. You've heard a guy like me because pastors are notorious for guilt tripping nice people in church and say you should read your Bible more, and then everybody just feels bad, and so then they try a little bit more, and then a couple days later, after reading something really weird in Lamentations or Ecclesiastes, they're like. I thought this was gonna be encouraging. instead, I just read why I'm not supposed to eat bacon. I'm done with this, right? All of us at some point, I was like 12 years old, I go up to the youth pastor, I grew up, uh, I I think I've shared with you before, I grew up Shiite Baptist. And so uh, we just took it real serious, that's all I'm saying. And, um, And so we were in church more than God was, trust me. we were, there were times where God's like, really, go home mow your lawn you're here too much but i digress so i as a, as a 12 year old boy there were certain things i knew that would score brownie points with uh, the pastor and so i asked the pastor I, he was my youth pastor i was uh you know freshly minted sixth grader and i said uh pastor ron i've been thinking i should start reading my bible where should i start and he said john john and that's a good answer john and as a, as a little guy, um, I, I went home and I took my children's Bible, which was a King James Bible that had children's pictures in it. Did any of you either have or give that thing out, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't understand William Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. Any of you really get him? It, King James, wonderful translation written at the same time Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. So if you've ever read the King James, you go, I don't get it. There's a reason you don't get it. We don't speak that way anymore. That's old language. But it's still beautiful, and I'm not knocking it. If that's your favorite translation, then it's my favorite too. Because whatever translation you will read is my favorite translation, just for the record. So I'm not knocking any of that. But I go home with my King James Bible, and I open up. And John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I sat there and thought, what word? (laughs) what word was with God? Because the word word to a sixth grader means what word means, right? I didn't know that it's a Greek word meaning logos and that it's a reference to Jesus Christ. I didn't know that. There was no little study notes in my little kid's Bible. And so I thought, why would he tell me to start here? This doesn't make any sense at all. Now, if I would have read 10 more verses, it would have started making perfect sense. But I got caught on that and I thought, oh. There's other Johns in here. I bet he means one of those. And so I flipped around and I found 1 John and I thought, well, this must be the one he's talking about because it's short and I'm short, (laughs) sixth grade. So I start reading John 1 and it it did make a little more sense, but it scared me. I don't know if you've ever read 1 John, but John is beautiful. Those epistles as they're called, those letters he wrote, they're beautiful letters, but they're very challenging. They're step on your toes kind of letters. And I got into part of it and it was like, if if you basically, this is not King James, this is my translation. If you do the deeds that are the deeds of the dark, you the light is not in you and you are in big trouble. Again, that's not the King James, but that's that's how I was able to understand it. And I was terrified because I did a lot of deeds in the dark. Like I, sixth grade, I mean, it was all relative to sixth grade. I coveted my cousin's toys. He had some Star Wars figures I didn't have. I wanted, I had, you know, as you get older, you get into more felony level sins. But, <laughs> but at that level, I still knew that my misdemeanor sins were still sins. I knew it. I knew that I was doing things in the dark. That must mean that there's no light in me. That means I'm in big trouble. So rather than go back to my youth pastor and say, I've read something and it disturbs me. I don't know what to do with this. Rather than take it to my parents, instead, I just was like, I probably shouldn't read this thing. And I set it aside. (laughs) And it was years again before I picked it up. Now, I don't know, I, I, I'm guessing in a room like this, there's at least one or two people that can relate to that story. Only it may not have been sixth grade, it may have been six months ago. You heard somebody say you should read your Bible and you started to read it. Steve leads a Tuesday morning men's group and a lot of you guys are in that group and we're going through judges right now. And there's a lot of times when you're reading through judges, you're like, this should have an R rating. This, I, is this really, should this be in here? And, and so today I want to talk about, rather than giving up when, when when you encounter stuff like that, what to do with this. And so I want to start with a story. And since, since Steve was in Ezra and Nehemiah, I want to just pick out my favorite verse in all of Ezra. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures or you prefer to pull it up on an electronic device just don't hit the play button by the way have you ever done that in church I have you know you're like oh I found the verse and you hit the button that you think advances the screen and instead it starts talking to you (laughs) happened to me at a funeral I know right it was terrific it was better yet. It was a funeral. This is a, it was a very sad situation. A young Korean boy had passed away, and it was at a funeral. And 100% of the funeral was in Korean. But the boy and his mom had attended my church, so I went to the funeral, which was in Korean. And then my English Bible started to read to me. And the anyhow, that's I digress again. I'm full of stories. So um, Ezra 7 verse. Verses 9 and 10. In fact, we'll start with verse 8. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on him. And I love that line. The gracious hand of God was on him. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? The gracious hand of God is on bread. I'd like that. The gracious the gracious hand of God is on Dan. That would feel really good. Gracious hand of God is on Katie. Well, it is. All right. But it does feel good to have those words wash over you, doesn't it? But then it tells us a little bit more to the story. For Ezra, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. And to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Now, I'm always amazed personally when I encounter a verse in the scripture and it speaks layer after layer after layer. That is, you, you start to read something and you're like, oh, that's a nice verse. And if you move on, you kind of lose some traction. But if you just stall out and you just read it over and over and let the words dwell in your heart, there's something really remarkable that happens. You, you start to see things in there that you didn't see before. And so I want us to just stall out on this verse, just ever, ever so briefly here. It says that for Ezra was devoted... Ezra had devoted, was devoted. He had devoted himself. What are you devoted to? I mean, if you think about it, what are you an expert in? What are the things that um, if you have a spare hour or two, that's that that's what you'd either think about, that's what you what you give yourself to? Could be a hobby. I mean, God's, God's made us uh interesting people. So it's not wrong. I, I for instance I love I love woodworking. I love not fine cabinetry, but I like building stuff. So I spent a couple hours yesterday in my driveway, table saws out, the compound miter saws out. I mean it was I had a lot of fun. What what is it you give your mind over if you have a a little bit of time. For Ezra, his hobby, it would seem that he was like an all all comprehensive interest focused in on the law of God. Now here's what's interesting about that. Now in in some ways to be a Christian in America makes sense. It's the predominant religion still, even though it gets criticized even though uh, church attendance just slipped for the first time into the minority, that is 47% of Americans say they regularly attend church, that's still one in two, that's still a lot. I mean, it's a movement as far as we're concerned in the wrong direction, but in, in, uh, when I was in Kentucky, Um, I I discovered that I I didn't know a single atheist. I figured it out. That's because the atheists in Kentucky lied and said that they were Christians just to like avoid conversations. Because the percentage of Christian to non-Christian in that part of the buckle of the Bible belt was, uh, it was a pretty slim minority of people who self-described as non-Christians. Not too terribly different than Oklahoma, actually. There's a lot of religion, right? But think about Babylon. Ezra's in Babylon. Babylon was not not a God-honoring place. Even Nebuchadnezzar was not a God-honoring man. There seemed to be maybe some redemption of Nebuchadnezzar at the end, where we think. But otherwise, Babylon, not a good place. And so if you just think about it, it kind of makes sense in our community, in our culture, to to actually give attention to God, to Christian faith, because it's sort of like the dominant thing. It's almost like the gravitational pull is a little bit towards it. Even though there's a pull against it, there's a pull towards it. But in Babylon, there was no pull towards it. it. In fact, it would make sense for people to go, you know what? What good was serving God? He didn't protect our people, and we're stuck here in Babylon, Let's just become Babylonian. Let's just become Persians. Let's just graft into the dominant culture. It'll be easier to do business and our kids will have more dating opportunities and I'll have more opportunities at work. I mean, this is is how the mind typically kind of works. But Ezra didn't do that. Ezra is a countercultural man. He devotes himself to the law in a place where devotion to the law makes no sense. But it makes sense to Ezra because he's a man of faith. And I find that kind of comforting, especially because we all see the trend lines in the United States where, where people of faith, it's becoming less and less every year. And then if you look at it generationally, it's even more stark and concerning that the younger generation seems to be separating from faith even at a higher clip. And so there's a certain part of going, what on earth is going on? I mean, without some sort of renewal, revival, what's going to happen to this world? And here's a guy who odds were so stacked against him, but he stands out. That the gracious hand of God was upon him. And why? Because he devoted himself. And so what did he devote himself to? Just a few things in here. Ezra devoted himself to the study an observance of the law. But let's just look at the first one. He studies it. He studies it. I bet every hand would go up. If I, here's the question. You ever bump into something in the Bible and you go, that's confusing. I, I if, if you were inclined towards hand raising, like if we were in a Pentecostal church, all of you, your hands would be up, right? You know, because we would all go, that's true, right? We've all been there. In fact, Maybe maybe it was yesterday. Maybe you opened up the Bible. You started to read something. And you're like, I, I don't get it. That That's confusing. The question is, what do you do when it's confusing? How do you respond to the confusion? Do you just go, well, that was confusing. Mm, well, I guess this thing is just full of errors. Some people do that. They come into contact with some of are guys, well, this doesn't make any sense to me. Therefore, it should all go down the tubes, you know. Or there's another option, and it's a better option. I don't understand this, but it's from God, so I should find out what was being communicated here. I should explore this. I should dig into this. I should get to know what God was trying to say, and that might require a little effort. You might have to buy a book or two. Um, I warn you, uh, Google can be your friend and your nemesis. So every now and then people are like, I don't understand the Trinity. I'll Google that. Mm, probably not a good idea. You know, the internet's an open source and all kinds of people are out there on the internet. Some are friendly, some are not. And so just be aware that the internet's full of all kinds of stuff. I go up personally, I'll check Wikipedia all the time. I find Wikipedia fascinating, but it's essentially open source internet. I don't, necessarily trust it but it's an interesting source but when you encounter something you're like how's the timeline of this work out? why would this be one of my favorite things people will do is they'll say oh god in the old testament he was just so violent i'm like really just could you show me a couple of the spots that stand out to you where he seems super duper violent they might find but oftentimes they're just parroting back stuff they've heard if you go, well, could you, um, what about all the times where he was incredibly gracious, loving, patient, and kind? You want to talk about those at all? The study of God's word deserves our attention. So here's a question I'd love to hear from some of you, because I know some of you are great students on this. I, where do you go? Like when you, when you get to a place in God's word where it doesn't make a lot of sense to you, and you want to study this, where, where do you turn? What are some of the resources that you have found personally helpful? And if you're online, I can't read your comments, but feel free to plug that in. Anybody? Another version of the Bible. Yeah, that's terrific. That's one of the best things I think about the Bible app. Yes. And Bible study fellowship recommended that through the study Isaiah. Yes. And it's really become a habit because yep. you can read the message, you can read the New Living, you can read right. the English standard. Yeah. Check in different translations, if especially if you get to a word that doesn't make a lot of sense and then you see it's trans that word's translated differently. Maybe it's translated differently. Your favorite translation may not be particularly helpful, but you get into some of these others and you realize, oh, this is okay, this makes more sense. What else? Yes. bible study notes like uh, uh oh sure yeah and, uh, commentaries. commentaries that's great and a commentary i remember as a kid um uh going uh, by the time i was 16 17 when i start to feel called to ministry i go to the pastor and uh i maybe you f- have felt this way before but I, i'd hear these guys get up and talk and i think where do you get that how does he i'm looking in the same bible and he's got stuff i don't got and so I went and asked my pastor he goes, "Oh, I consult commentaries." That was the first time I heard that word and he loaned me a little commentary on, on the Book of James and it was incredibly helpful. Commentaries like blown out study notes. Those are good answers, Brad. There's an online item called Bible Hub. Bible Apple Hub. Hub. Pick up a New American Standard Strongs. Yeah. So you can highlight an individual word and find out what the original meaning of that word was in the original Hebrew or Greek. Yeah. And that really is, does lots of good for me sometimes because then I can reread the verse. I know what the original people were hearing as opposed to what we're hearing in English. It's a, it's a good resource if online, Bible Hub, and it's free, it's a great, I use that quite frequently, and, uh, and then you can use Strong's Concordance that's connected to that. I just think it's neat to share those resources. Yes, ma'am? The Holy Spirit can be it, at you. Sure can. And, that, and to me, that's what we should be all seeking, because as mm-hmm. um, the scriptures say, "Flesh and blood can reveal this to you; mm-hmm. the Spirit will reveal it to you." Yeah. And the Holy Ghost will lead and guide you into all. Life. Yes. Well, and I think that's a great reply. And we, what we cannot do is take our eyes off of, if we can use that expression, that God reveals through his Holy Spirit, what is in the Word of God. And so when we're doing that study, we invite the Spirit in to speak into that. Yes? Well, to tag on to that, uh, the first thing I do is pray. Okay? hmm Holy Spirit to help me. Right. I keep my spiritual antenna up. I yeah. to listen to KQCD, especially in the morning, because they have different pastors. Is that a radio? Yeah, 800 a.m. Oh, okay, okay. Sure. Nice. And if I'm doing dishes or something, mm-hmm. I can just leave that on. And it's amazing how many times within the next few days that subject will come up and those preachers will preach on it. And right. if nothing else, I can go to my Blue Letter Bible. That's another app. Yep. Blue Letter Bible, another app. Yep. hmm You bet. All it's the good. Words. And it's got about seven to eight yep so that's my thing. very good one last uh, comment Oh uh, you know when i was first started getting back in the bible and it's unfortunate that we pick and choose like this verse i really like this verse or i get one where i don't understand this verse well i have a friend explain it to me do the 20 and 20 20 verses before 20 verses after oh yes context yes Read the context. In fact, an old friend of mine, uh, Stuart Briscoe, he's like 90 now. He's a pastor for many years up in Milwaukee. But he would say, if you take the text out of a context, all you're left is with a con. And uh, (laughs) not always. Sometimes that text just stands on its own two feet. But many times, many times there's a greater context. All All right. Well, that's very helpful. And I think it's good. That's the beauty of a group like this is to share the resources that we each find helpful. And to uh, and to make use of that, and so Ezra studied the word of God. It says, but he did more than study; he observed it. Now, that's not to be missed, because uh, I, I like what Rick Warren, famous pastor out of Southern California, says. Rick Warren says the average the average American Christian is educated well past their level of obedience. Yes. Isn't that good? <laughs> The average, it's true. I am, you are, we're all educated past our level of obedience. There's all kinds of information that we know, but we just don't do. And Ezra made a determination. When I encounter something that God has taught in his word, and Ezra would have had the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's it. That's all he would have had. So he he may have had kings, and he may have had judges and Joshua, but what he for sure had was the law, and the law was the first five books. And when he encountered something, he said, I'm going to do it. It might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to observe this. And that is not to be missed. For some of us, we need to consume less knowledge about God and put into practice the stuff we know that he's called us to. And one of the things that we can do to undermine that is to pat ourselves on the back by the new accumulation of new information. And so we feel good. We go, hey, you know what? I might not be doing this and this and this, but I know first and second Peter, like the backside of my hand. As if God's like, Well, I'm so impressed. Good job, still coveting all that stuff you don't have. Terrific. Yeah, but you got first Peter down. Great. I don't think that that impresses God. In fact, what I think, if we look at the comprehensiveness of Scripture, people seem to be commended for how they put into practice what they know. Now, that's not an excuse not to study, but it is a commendation to study and observe. And And then it says, after he'd done that, then it says, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So he, he starts out, he studies it. When he encounters something he doesn't understand, he digs in. He asks God to explain it to him. He compares it to other texts that are around it. He does all the stuff that he can do so that he can then go, this is not going to be easy, but I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to share what I'm learning with fellow Israelites. In other words, people who were also tracking spiritually. And amongst the the tribe of the Israelites, the people who had self-identify, because there are some people that peeled off and left it. There were. There were people who went into Babylon and they just got absorbed into Babylon culture. But the people who said, no, we're still Israelites. We're going to be the Hebrew people. We're the people with with a backstory of the exodus out of Egypt. That's our identification. So Ezra begins to teach the law to those people. Now, this is also something for us not to miss. He wasn't, what's interesting is he he did not endeavor to teach the law of God to the Babylonians. They weren't interested. It was futile. They, they first needed to convert before they could become cleaned. But those who were already part of the tribe, they needed to act like it. And it's similar for us too. There's many many instructions in scripture that assume that you already have a walk with God. And yeah, sin is truly sin, whether you have a walk with God or not. But the call to holy living, to God honoring living is within the house of God, not outside the house of God. Of course, outside the house of God, they don't act like it because they don't have God in their lives. So why would they? And sometimes we shift the target accidentally. And I think it is accidental. I think we endeavor to do something good with it and we shift the target and say, man, culture's nuts. But we don't, we don't look in the mirror as often as we should. It's, uh, I heard one preacher say, you don't get cleaned up before you take a bath. You start with the bath, then you get cleaned up. As an illusion to baptism. You, know, you, you start with a commitment to God And then you get cleaned up through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called sanctification. And so Ezra, just picture this guy so faithful. His efforts were within the household of faith, commending people, live a God-honoring life. And there's nothing special about Ezra. We could do that. I mean, we can do what he did. He, he, He was a faithful teacher to his uh, brethren and his cistern. <laughs> one person got the joke. It was Katie, by the way. She got the joke. <laughs> All right. I want us to, uh, is there any comments on this section before I move? I want us to move to one New Testament passage and then we'll wrap up. Any comments on this question? Smart remarks. All right. Um, If we move over to the New Testament, it's another great passage on the Word of God. And uh, some of you know this passage by heart. Some of you might be a brand new one. It is 2 Timothy 3.16. And uh, it starts with 3.15. And it's uh, interesting. This is Paul's last letter he wrote, as far as we know. We believe this is his last, essentially, will and testament. He is is on the, the threshold of eternity. And his time on earth is wrapping up he's in prison and this is his letter he wrote to his friend and he says to Timothy he says um, verse um, 15 and how from infancy he well let me back up a little bit Uh, let me just say um, this is his final charge I'll just start with verse 10 but we're going to focus on 15 and 16 you know you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and persecutions I endured. So, so Paul is given the, the backstory, He's reminding Timothy. Timothy knows this, but he's just sharing a testimony again with Timothy. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I'll be honest, sometimes I read things in the Bible and I'd like to vote them off the island. I'd like to not I like I would like Paul to have said if you live a godly life, your life will be so sweet and good and prosperous and healthy. And it will be spiritually, but not necessarily when it comes to your physical or financial health. But I digress. Christ Jesus, if you live a life in Christ, you'll be persecuted while evildoers and and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's uplifting, but it's in there. But as for you, so now he turns his gaze to Timothy. As for you, Timothy, continuing what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. Me, (laughs) that's what he's getting at. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Since you were a little guy raised in a household with a faith-filled mother, essentially, we know a little bit of Timothy's background, which are able to make you wise. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he says, Timothy, since you were a little guy, your mother taught you the Scriptures. And the Scriptures can make you wise. Sophia is the Greek word. It's a, it, just, it, it will give you practical wisdom for day-to-day living, living that will be God-honoring. And then he gives us this very beautiful little phrase that has been woven into much teaching about scripture in general. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. And Paul coins a word here, or at least this word only appears in the New Testament. We have a lot of ancient Greek writing. God breathed. uh, Theos pneuma is not in other Greek literature. This is a New Testament term because it's a New Testament theology that God breathed. And it's useful for teaching. And he gives us he says it's useful and for what? For teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so what Paul says is there's a handful of things I want to just highlight here. All scripture, he says, is God breathed. In other words, there's a, it, it came about by supernatural decision. Peter elsewhere says, no prophecy of scripture was ever a matter of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke by God. I think that's the old New American Standard uh, there, Brad, for you, the NASB. Uh, it, is a, it is a divinely inspired document. And the document that Paul's referring to is the for sure the Old Testament, what we think of as the Old Testament, they would have just called it the Bible or the Hebrew Bible. But they had a, a Bible that actually was so special. But so few people were speaking Greek; it was also translate or Hebrew. It was also translated into Greek. So we know what the Old Testament was because we have Hebrew versions of it and we have Greek versions of it. But when Paul says all Scripture is inspired. He's also giving a reference point, scholars agree, to various gospels that were floating out in the churches by this time, various letters of Paul. Paul in his own letters say, hey, this is a message from God, pass this around to other churches, make sure they read it, make sure they learn this stuff. Paul's referring to his own material in this. And so he says, all scriptures God breathed and it's it's useful in your life. It's not just something that preachers tell you you're supposed to give time to, but it's useful in your life and it's useful for how? For, for teaching and rebuking. In other words, that little parallelism, that it's to, it's to teach you what's good doctrine. Don't get doctrine from celebrities. Don't even get doctrine from celebrity preachers. Get doctrine from the word of God. Don't get doctrine from the popular music of the time, whether it's popular music or Christian popular music. Get your doctrine from the Word of God. And the Word of God plays another role, which is to correct wrong thinking and wrong doctrine, because people will come up with wrong teaching and wrong doctrine. 2,000 years of church history, there's been people who have the spectrum of wrong teaching. Some of it's been minor, not that big a deal, and some of it has been major, and they've been thrown out of the church for it. But You want to have good teaching and good doctrine. Let me just finish and then I'll take this question. And then the other flip of it is, is right living and correction, teaching, discipline, how to live, but also reproof how to not live. Because what? Our culture will tell us how to live. And we live in a a culture. Even the church is in the culture. Not supposed to be, but we are. And so ideas of morality, what's right and wrong, will emerge. And the Bible says, sorry, the follower of God who wants to live a God-honoring life has a different standard. That's wrong, that's sin, this is right. And so Paul gives these and says, this is gonna be very useful. It'll teach you what's, what's the right way to think about life and God and yourself, and then also how to conduct yourself. And then you'll be thoroughly equipped which sounds really good. So, Paul, kind of like Ezra, combines two big ideas here. God's word has this powerful way of impacting our lives today. Question? No, I have to say, um, there's a scripture that said that sometimes we're ever learning, mm-hmm. but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. Yeah. And so we should be speaking our truth as we do it. Yes absolutely, thank you, is that the whole point isn't just to be able to report back, like a parrot, the information, but that it would invade us. Well, any, uh, our time has elapsed, even though I agree, we really do need more time. So whoever's in charge of this should change that. Uh, you got six days to study before next Sunday. Okay, six days to study. What? Uh, um, any last comments or questions or smart remarks? Either I've lulled you into complacency. Yeah, Ellie's like, we're well, we're done. Our brain's full. Okay. <laughs> On that note, let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, it has been a great joy to open up Your Word to have a little conversation together today. Uh, God, give us a hunger and thirst for Your Word. Only, only, only Your Word can satisfy. Lord, none of us in this room probably possess the discipline in ourselves just to carve out daily time in your word. All of us in this room, I'll bet, have tried it. And for many, it hasn't worked real well. And so, Lord, rather than leave here feeling a little guilty or maybe a little bit of shame, instead, Lord, let us come away here with a hunger and thirst for your word that we'll only be satisfied by a little bit of time in your word every day. And let that invade our hearts and our lives in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, good to be with you guys.